We don't talk about Bruno. No, no, no. Yep. <laughs> what is that from? <laughs> Encanto. Oh, I haven't watched it yet. You should. I'm going to have to. Hey, guess what? Right now. <laughs> what? Welcome back. Oh, welcome back. To, to the, the Dead to the, the World, World podcast. That, you know, we're sick. Yeah, I'm Mama Dawn, by the way. I was going to go there next. Oh, sorry. That's Mama Dawn. That's Tasha. And this is Lexi. And yes, COVID hit our house. I mean, I was thinking earlier today, I'm like, we've mentioned being sick multiple times and just never addressed COVID, but we never did. But this time, this time we have it. Yeah. <laughs> All of us. Well, this time the Ronas have gotten us. Yeah. Luckily, it hasn't been too bad. I oh, mean, Mario. I don't feel great, <laughs> but I'm not headed to the hospital. How do you say Omicron? Omicron? Omicron. Omicron. But everyone makes a joke about Amarion. Oh, really? I've just heard like Optimus Prime. Wait, what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was Optimus thinking Prime? Optimus Prime, but Omicron. I don't know. Never mind. No, wait, hold on. Autobots. What are you telling me the other day about like the flu and the Rona together? Oh, Florona. Florona. I think that's actually what I had because I was sick the week after Christmas, got better for a couple of days and then got sick again and this time it was Rona. This is what everyone's making jokes about. Oh, it's a YouTube ad. Hold on. A <laughs> <laughs> Marion. You don't get it. A Marion. Like that's the COVID name. Yeah, it's an. Oh my gosh, I can't pause it. Omnicron. Uh-huh. Everyone's like a Marion, <laughs> and they start dancing. Uh-huh. Okay, we should you just know cut what? all of that out. No, it gets to a point, though, where you all you can do is laugh about it. Like, you can't... Yes. It's, ha, ha, ha. That's not what I mean. <laughs> I I'm just saying, yes, there's a lot of people that have been impacted negatively, but uh, it's cut... Let me tell you a story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So, okay. <laughs> so, Daddy Dell likes to work on cars. So, one day, he's working on our son Colby's car, and it's a stick shift. We have a driveway that's like downhill he puts it in the driveway in the garage he's working on it he goes in the house to get something comes back and the car's freaking gone <laughs> and he's like oh my gosh did somebody steal the car and he goes outside and all of a sudden he sees this like big puff of dust and stuff it popped out of gear rolled out of our driveway across the street and through our neighbor's concrete fence and when he called me to tell him tell me about it I just started laughing and he was so mad because he's like why are you laughing this is so bad and I'm like what am I supposed to do? Like, that's freaking hilarious. I just have to laugh about it. Don't want to cry about it. So COVID is your concrete fence. It is. COVID <laughs> is a concrete fence. We're going to run our car right through it. No, I think she's the concrete concrete fence. COVID is the car. Oh, <laughs> I guess that would make more sense. Kind of getting bulldozed over right now. Moral of the story of what she's trying to say. It's bad and it's affected a lot of people negatively, but at some point... We're in season three of COVID. We just have to laugh about it sometimes. Yeah. Well, and it's just not going to go away. So you just kind of have to live your life and hope hope things just continue to get better instead of worse. Based on my little Amarion, uh, me thinking that that was funny, clearly I've been spending a lot of time on TikTok since <laughs> I've been stuck at home with COVID. Yeah, we've been quarantining for a while. No, you know while. what's on TikTok? What? Tell me about that, Bruno. <laughs> I got to <laughs> know that, Bruno. TikTok. Ah, well, I guess maybe we could get started. What are we talking about today? Insomnia. <laughs> I literally forgot. <laughs> That's embarrassing. That was hilarious. Lexi's face was like, 
like she was like stage fright because uh, uh, she was looking at me as if I needed to say it and I didn't yeah. remember. I don't know. It seems like you've been announcing it quite a bit lately. So I just like look to you to do that. Insomnia. But I think actually Tasha's starting Insomnia. today. Insomnia. What order are we going in? Insomnia. Am I? Ma'am. Sorry. <laughs> Am I the middle? Um, I don't know. I mean, mine's the longest part, I think. So you're in the middle. Well, I don't want to go last. I'll go last. It's fine. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not the loser this time. Okay, fine. I'll be the loser with the best story. Mm. We'll, we'll let, see. We'll let them decide. Hi, my name's Tasha. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. I'm sorry. That reminded me of something funny I have to share. Our friend Katie, nailed by Katie yeah. <laughs> on Instagram that we've talked about, she Snapchat me the other day, and she's like, every time Tasha says, hi, I'm Tasha, she thinks of Backyardigans. <laughs> Backyard that's against. funny. Yeah, it's like it's that like a Nickelodeon show. show. You know, the one that's like, Castaways, we are Castaways. That's where that was from. Oh, I don't think Well, I've there's a little that. character named Tasha, Tasha on the show, and in the intro, she goes, hi, I'm Tasha. <laughs> <laughs> so every time I do it, just picture that I'm pink. And looking like us, I think she's supposed to be a snail. Is she? I was gonna say alien, ladybug. <laughs> I don't know. She looks maybe weird. a ladybug. <gasps> I didn't mean to say she looks weird. I just meant I, mean, I don't <laughs> know what she is. Anyways, moving on. <laughs> yes, moving on. Hi, I'm Tasha. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I have to play it. Hi, I'm Pablo. My name's Tyrone. I'm Uniqua. I'm Tasha. My name's Austin. We have to do the whole thing. Okay. (laughs) How did I miss this in your childhood? Because it was on a channel we didn't get. And the one time I remember watching it is when we went to Disneyland when I was in second grade. Oh, okay. (laughs) So, yeah, that's why. (laughs) Anyways, um, so we're going to talk about insomnia today. Woo, no sleep. Sleep is for the week. Just kidding. I like my sleep. (laughs) We're a sleep podcast talking about not getting sleep. (gasps) How absurd. Travesty. So insomnia is a common sleep disorder that can make it hard to fall asleep. It can also make it hard to stay asleep or cause you to wake up too early and not be able to get back to sleep. So that all just sounds terrifying. Sounds like my last couple of weeks. Oh, boy. But you don't have insomnia. No, it's just the stupid cold makes it hard to sleep through the night. So my information I got from mayoclinic.org, um, they say you may still feel tired when you wake up uh, with insomnia. It can not only affect your energy levels, your mood, but also your health, work performance, and quality of life. Makes sense. Extremely disruptive. Sleep is important. So how much sleep is enough will vary person to person, but most adults need seven to eight hours of sleep, according to mayoclinic.org. At some point, many adults experience short-term acute insomnia, which lasts for days or weeks. It's usually the result of like stress or a traumatic event. Uh, But some people will have long-term chronic insomnia, and that will last for months or more. Insomnia may be the primary problem, or it could be associated with other medical conditions or medications. So a medication could cause insomnia? Yes. So symptoms may include difficulty falling asleep at night, waking up during the night, waking up too early, not feeling well rested after a night's sleep, daytime tiredness or sleepiness, inability, no, irritability. Thank you. (laughs) I knew I said that wrong irritability, depression and anxiety, 
difficulty paying attention, focusing on tasks or remembering things, increased errors and accidents, and ongoing worries about sleep. Well, I guess that makes sense. If you're not getting enough sleep, your world's going to be chaos and not the <laughs> not the no. cool golfer chaos on PlayStation 4 Golf. What? what? <laughs> there was a golfer character on PlayStation 4 that, I don't know what golf game, but it, it was like Hot Shots. Hot Shots 4. That's what it was. Chaos was dad's favorite player. Interesting. Sorry. <laughs> There's somebody out there who knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> if so, you're that one person, let us know. Yeah, you better email us. So there are common causes, blah, 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 common causes of chronic insomnia that would include stress, so concerns about work, school, finances, family. Uh, you know, these things may keep your mind active at night, making it difficult to sleep. Stressful life events or trauma, such as a death and illness of a loved one, divorce, job loss, could also lead to insomnia. That makes sense. It's hard to fall asleep when you're just stressed like, about stuff. Yeah, when, when your you, mind's oh. going a mile a minute. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, and you just lay there and you're just like thinking everything. Mm-hmm. So the next one is travel or work schedule. So, you know, everyone kind of has like an internal clock. And so like m- your metabolism and your body temperature could disrupt that rhythm. Um, it could also lead to insomnia. So... Uh, jet lag from traveling across multiple time zones, working on late or early shifts, or frequently changing your shifts could cause those problems. That, that makes, makes sense. sense. I, when, don't, I don't know how people do swing shift. Yeah. Like Wait, what's the definition of swing shift? Well, I mean, I guess I should say shift work. Swing shift is in the after- evening, I think. And so you have your morning shift, which is like a regular like 8 to 5 or something, then like 5 to whatever, 8 hours after 5 is, and then through the night. I'm just saying some people work those schedules and then they rotate through them. So they're not working the same shift So like all the you're time. never sleeping at the same time. That would you drive could, me insane. Yeah, that sounds horrible. Good. I mean, I've known a I'm lot glad of people some people who, do it because yeah. we probably need them. <laughs> I've known a lot of people who have done it for jobs that pay really well, but I just, I need my sleep too much. I just don't think I could do it. Same. Well, I was also going to say after, because I went to Thailand for like three to four months, almost four months. When I got back, obviously I had jet lag, but also I think for like three months after, I had a very hard time sleeping. So that makes sense. Yeah, your clock I was think way I had messed up. Insomnia for a little bit. Oof. It was like losing that whole day. Or wait, did you guys lose a day going and then gain it back when you came back? Yes. Okay. That's but other than the jet lag, I'm saying like three months after I got back, I still would have a really hard time like falling asleep and staying asleep. It's almost like when a baby is born, like they've got to get their day and nights like. Figured out. Figured out, and we were on the other side of the world where it was opposite from here. So you were a newborn baby, <laughs> learning your time zones I again. do not want to go back and relive my whole life. Thank you. <laughs> so poor sleep habits. So, you know, those could include, like, irregular bedtime schedules, naps. I can edit out naps because if Kyle hears this, then he'll tell me I can never take a nap again. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Honestly, I was like, Sebastian's about to say the same thing because lately... I've been complaining about not being able to fall asleep. And he's always like, well, if you didn't take so many naps If you didn't take so many naps. <laughs> and you're like, shush. Um, so uh, stimulating activities before bed, an uncomfortable sleep environment, or using your bed for work, eating, watching TV, computers, video games, smartphones, or other type of screen activity just before bed could interfere with your sleep cycle. And Kyle tells me this all the time. 
that well, you maybe need to you stop should. playing on your phone before yeah, you go to like, bed. Don't look at your don't don't watch TikTok videos right before you go to bed. That's why you can't fall asleep. And I'm like, sir, I do not have a problem falling asleep. Good point. You have a hard time getting up. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, um, eating too much late into the evening. So having a light snack before bedtime is okay in capital letters. But eating too much may cause you to feel physically uncomfortable while laying down. Many people have also experienced heartburn, a backflow of acid, and food from the stomach into the esophagus, which may keep you awake. Yeah, I've had times when I ate a little bit too much before bed, and then you lay down and you just like feel it right there in your throat coming <laughs> <Yeah>. back up. <laughs> or like every time we eat at Takano's. I don't even have to go to bed. I feel that way. <laughs> it's just standing up. Standing up. <laughs> but seriously, yeah, don't eat too late in the night. It might not help your insomnia. Yeah, and if you're not a Utah, uh, Tacanos is a Brazilian all you can eat place like that they bring the meat around on the spit or whatever. Skewers. Skewers. What'd you call it? It's a spit. A spit? I mean, that is what it's called. S I P T? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> Um, also, we are not, we don't have insomnia. I don't think so. No, has anyone in our family been like diagnosed with insomnia? No. No? Okay. I don't think so. We're all sleepers. Okay. So just making that crystal clear. Um, so insomnia can become more common with age. So as you get older, you may experience like a change in your sleeping patterns. Um, often you, mo- you might become less restful. Uh, so um, noises or other changes in the environments are likely to wake you up. With age, your internal clock often advances, and so you get tired earlier in the evenings and wake up earlier in the mornings, and um, the older generation still needs the same amount of sleep, though, as younger people, so therefore it causes a, a higher effect on them. Yeah. Because they're losing more sleep, but they're still needing the same amount of sleep um, when they were younger. I have a question. Yeah. How come? Okay, because this these people are sleep people or whatever, this website. They're smart. Mayo Clinic. Scientists or whatnot. Org. Excuse me. Um, and they just said, you still need as much sleep when you're older as you did when you were younger. And I was asking Sebastian this last night because I was thinking about it. I was like, how come when we're young, we take multiple naps a day, like when you're a toddler, even like when you first go to like preschool or daycare or whatever, they have you take naps. And then one day out of nowhere, they're like, no. It is unacceptable to fall asleep in the you middle of the day. You don't need no naps. Well, it's because when you are a child growing so fast, you do need extra sleep. Like a baby needs way more sleep than an adult. So I think it's just once you get to your where you're not just growing so fast, you don't need as much sleep anymore. Oh. So I don't think they mean like a baby, like an elderly person needs as much sleep as a baby. No, it's like a, a regular adult when you're... A 20-year-old needs the same sleep as a 50-year-old. Okay, okay. I think that's what they mean. Okay, I see you or I am mistaken. (laughs) (laughs) What made me think, though, my mom, as she was getting older, she'd wake up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and then she'd just fall asleep all day long, and then she'd watch TV at night till, like, 1 or 2 and then sleep. It was like it wasn't consistent sleep. Weird. But I think that also comes with not really having anything to do. I was going to say, like, if you don't have anything to do, of course you probably would fall asleep more throughout the day. Because you're not actively like, you're not like, oh my gosh, I got to get this done. Yeah, you know, the yeah, kids are coming home from school. I've got to get the food done. That's gotta me get in this life done. right now. I fall asleep every other second without trying to. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, changing in activity, um, you know, when when you get older, you may be less physical or um, like socially active. 
um, the lack of that activity could interfere with a good night's sleep. So the less active you are, the more likely you're able to take daily naps, which then could interfere with your sleep at night. Oh. Yeah, so exactly what we just I said, said about my mom. <laughs> exactly. So that was perfect. Um, and then also changes in health. So chronic pain from conditions such as like arthritis or back problems could, or depression, anxiety can interfere with sleep. Issues also could increase with like needing to urinate during the night, such as like a prostate or bladder problem. It could disrupt your sleep. Sleep apnea, of course, and restless leg syndrome are also common with your age. We'll have to do an episode on restless leg syndrome because we keep talking about how it's a parasomnia too. And I didn't. We haven't talked about it, like, in full length. I don't think I'd say I have restless leg syndrome, but you, you know when you get that restless leg feeling and it drives you insane? That you just keep moving around? Yeah, and, like, if I... Not, and, like, it does cause me not to sleep sometimes. Because you have to keep moving? I think that is restless leg syndrome. Oh, so maybe I have that. I don't well, know. maybe you should go to the doctor. Maybe I should. That's right. Go to your healthcare professional. Um, also, real quick, in here, you know, I mentioned arthritis. Mm-hmm. Um is a chronic pain, you know, whatever. Oh, I thought Barrow might have had arthritis in one of his little paws. Aww. That's my male cat. We took him to the vet today, actually, and... What did they say about him? They just said that they think he's got some type of nerve endings or something in his paw, and so it's hit or miss. Like, sometimes it hurts and sometimes it doesn't. That's why sometimes he limps and sometimes um, he doesn't. Oh, poor boy. I know. Well, let me share a story, though. We got him a medication, so it's okay. Sorry, I hit the microphone. I'm not saying that your cat is faking it. Oh. <laughs> Let me make <laughs> that clear. What I am saying is there was a phase where Tucker, my dog, used to limp randomly. And we were like, okay, there's something wrong with him. We took him to the vet. They told him nothing really seemed wrong, but maybe he was having some kind of nerve pain or something. So they gave us some medication and he still was limping. So we went back a while later and they're like, well, we could try acupuncture. Like that helps animals sometimes. So we're like, okay, yeah, let's do that. And then a million dollars later, just kidding. yeah, honestly, very expensive. And then if that were to work, we would have had to keep bringing him back like every so often to keep getting acupuncture. Well, eventually we learned that he was faking it because he thought if he limped and we thought his paws were hurting, we wouldn't cut his nails because he didn't want his nails to be cut. How did you guys figure that out? It was just like every single time his nails started getting longer, he would do it. He'd limp? He would limp and then freak out when we wanted to cut his nails. And then after that, he's fine. And then a couple weeks later, when it was like starting to get around the time where he could tell it was getting long enough, we're going to cut him. He's like, oh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my paw hurts. <laughs> oh no. But literally, animals are just like children. They'll see what they can get away with. Totally. But I'm one, like... If they can't actually find something, I'm not saying he's faking no, no, it, I but know. you never know. Yeah, they did say, why are we off on this? I'm sorry, totally sidetracked. But it's they okay. did say that like an x-ray wouldn't really show anything because it's like within the like soft tissues. Mm-hmm. And so they gave us some gabapentin, which is a pain medication um, for him to just give him like, I think, I don't remember, Kyle technically took him to the vet. So I don't remember. I like, I wasn't there to hear all everything, yeah. but basically to give him to just help with pain. And then he said like within a year, it probably would just go away. Oh, okay. So well, good. Yeah, nothing serious. Not arthritis. Arthritis. I said that weird. Also, I just want to clarify. If he still was doing this and I thought he was in pain, I would definitely keep taking him to the vet. <laughs> After like two like months of us cutting nails and us not babying him about it anymore, he stopped doing it because he realized it wasn't going to prevent anything. He realized my parents are going to make me do what they make me do. So I just want to clarify. He's not still limping around and I'm just like, you're faking it. <laughs> <laughs> you just will have the deal. No, he is a... He is a runner for a corgi. Holy crap. He zooms quite a bit. He zooms. So um, did I mention medications yet? 
<laughs> the last thing you talked about was arthritis, and then we went on that oh, yeah. whole tangent. Oh, that's right. <laughs> okay, so my next one is medications. So older people typically would use more medicational medicational prescriptions <laughs> i think just medication in general yeah or prescription drugs <laughs> medicational medicational <laughs> anyways uh they could possibly i'm not going to say they typically well, i mean typically i'm not going to say they always but typically <laughs> i think typically is fine to use say. more prescription drugs than younger people do and even if it's not prescriptions they mostly take a lot of vitamins and stuff too right so but they're saying medications not vitamins i know vitamins. i know i'm just saying I'm vitamins just clarifying uh, which could increase the chance of insomnia because sometimes it's associated with medication. Yes. I think it's interesting. You can take medication that causes a problem and then they give you another medication to fix that problem. I know. That might cause another but problem. But then is the first problem that you were taking the medication for solved? If so, then it makes sense for them to give you another one to solve that problem. It could go on but forever. But if your first you problem was... Okay. <laughs> so risk factors. Nearly everyone has an occasional sleepless night, but the risk factors with insomnia is greater if... And then these are the following. You are a woman. Really? really? Wow. Both of you are very surprised. <laughs> well, I would just that like just to know why we me. get the crappy side oh, of everything. <laughs> well, let me tell you. So hormonal shifts during... Hormonal? Yes. Okay, thank Isn't you. that what I said? Hermione. <laughs> Or horny Hormonal. I can't even say it now. Hormon- hormonal. Hormonal. I can't say it. Am I wait, saying it right? No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. Shh, shh, shh. Hormonal. <laughs> it, doesn't even, it doesn't even sound like a real word anymore, though. Hormonal. <laughs> it's not it. Okay, okay. Sorry. Hormones in your body that shift. During your menstrual cycle and in menopause may play a role. During menopause, night sweats and hot flashes often will disrupt your sleep. Therefore, insomnia is very common in women and also with pregnancy. I've been with that hormone thing before I had surgery. Mm -hmm. I had to stop taking estrogen, which Mm -hmm. I'm on because I'm on. Anyway, (laughs) nobody needs my medical history. (laughs) But... I had to stop taking it because I think it's something to do with blood clots. So I had to stop hmm. taking it for one month and then I had to postpone the surgery. So then I had to stay off at another month. Oh my gosh. Talk about the night sweats. And I know exactly what they're saying. It's hard <laughs> to sleep. Um, next one is if you're over the age of 60, just because of changes in sleep patterns and health could increase insomnia. Your mental health disorders or physical health conditions may also play a, a play a factor here i don't know what word i was going for um anyways impacting your mental and physical health could disrupt your sleep um if you're under a lot of stress so stressful times events can cause temporary insomnia and major or long-lasting leads of stress i'm sorry a major or long-lasting stress could lead to chronic insomnia Makes sense. So and then oh, it's like you almost are under so much stress, you become ins- an insomniac, and then maybe Basically. it's hard to go back to back. normal. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then also just very general, very basic, just not having a regular schedule. Um, so changing shift works. Oh my gosh, my words are all backwards today. Changing shifts at work or traveling, and disrupting your sleep slash wake cycle. No, it makes perfect sense. Okay, that was my introduction. For insomnia, I hope we all are kind of on the same page. I do have one story, so I'm going to share that, and then we'll move to Lexi. Okay. So my story is by Crypt Today 
on Reddit, and this was posted nine years ago. I am an actual insomniac. I haven't had a non-medicated sleep since I was 16 years old. Wow. Does my see how old they are? Um, no. Okay. no. At least not that I saw. At my worst, I was prescribed... I prescribed... I don't know how to say this. Ry- ripinol? It's the date, rip, date rip, rape no, I think it's ripinol. Something that... Go ahead. Anyways, it's the rape, date rape drug. Date rape drug. drug. Yes, I can't even say that right. And basically they go on to say... It was just to allow my body to rest as nothing else was helping. I was or am not on any other drugs currently, and I sleep every two to three days. That would be miserable. Yeah. Can you imagine sleeping only every two to three days? No. So they say the longest I've ever stayed awake was just over four days, and that was with taking medication pills every night as I continue to do so now. That has to be so frustrating. I think the best word to describe insomnia is zombie. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't think. I was having full-blown hallucinations. I remember staring at shadows on the wall and seeing them moving. If I stared at an inanimate object, the outlines of them would wiggle and they'd slowly transform and merge with other objects around them. The colors were always wrong. Everything looked like it was made of teeny little static cells and those cells were moving, like under a microscope. Or if you're really stoned. <laughs> Interesting. I was scared of everything. The teeniest, tiniest of noises would make my heart jump out of my chest. I felt really, really sick. I had a bad headache. I was extremely irritable and found almost everything intolerable. By the end, I was completely paranoid of ghosts and demons, despite not really believing in them. I was scared to go anywhere in the house without my dog. Thank goodness for my dog. That animal literally keeps me sane in my insanity. Aww. We oh, love dogs. Poor guy. I know. I can't even, or like, girl. imagine. Like, that just sounds terrible, to be honest. It makes sense, though, because sleep is so vital. Even though I'll, in my story it talks a little bit about the fact that we really don't even understand still what sleep does for us. We just know that it does. That we need it. So much that we need it. Yeah, yeah. it makes sense. Yeah, so I'm thankful I don't have an insult. Inso- I can't keep saying insomnia thank you i'm struggling today but um i'm glad that we're bringing awareness to it and like talking about it because it's serious and it's something people deal with and i think a lot of people don't know how truly effective no how How truly it affects it affects their lives yes thank you so lexi we are on to you all right well i have a couple of stories yes they're about insomnia they're not so much about the effects of insomnia, but there are a couple stories about people who have suffered from very severe insomnia. So the first one, I got my information from the sleepreviewmag.com and youareawesome.com. Nice. You <laughs> are awesome. awesome. And this story is about a man named Tai Nyong. I googled how to say that. Um, that's the only time I'm going to say it. <laughs> and it's Vietnamese, It's right? Vietnamese. Don't ask me to say it again. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm just going to refer to him as Ty because oh, okay. Our that's a lot easier. Wait, Mr. N. I'm Does sorry. it start with the N? Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. His name was Ty what? No. Ty Nyok? Nyok. Nyok. Something like that. Something I like don't that. know. Okay. So Ty, a Vietnamese farmer born in 1942, claims to have stayed awake for over 38 years. And I mean, it's more since then. This article was published in 2011. Oh, wow. So I saw some other articles that were like over 45 years now and stuff like that. 
Um, Supposedly, his story was that after coming down with a fever in 1973, he hadn't been able to sleep a wink. He's tried medication, traditional folk remedies, and even a liberal dose of alcohol. (laughs) Yet nothing seems to have an effect, and this man has endured over 12,000 sleepless nights. Oh my goodness. That seems impossible. So... Real quick, Kyle always says, "Don't you aren't aren't you going to be sad when you when you're a little older and you look back and you've slept your life away?" No, I would rather sleep my life away than like never be able to never sleep. be able to sleep. Yeah, agreed. So unlike normal humans who, when sleep deprived, can you know have all kinds of issues and side effects, um, Ty seems to still be in perfect health, and he carries two 110 pound sacks of rice over two miles to his house every single day. Well, Even after why. years of no sleep. He's a superhero. Wow. He must, his body must regenerate some way. So it says that... Um, I wonder if he's like an animal, like the mammals that have like half their brain. Like what were we talking about? Dolphins? That have... It's ducks, isn't it? Well, I think it's probably Why are you guys looking both. at me like I'm supposed to <laughs> do? Look at Tosh. Tell us what animal Was it, it dolphins or ducks? Um, frogs. <laughs> I know. It might be turtles. I, know I don't know. In one of our episodes, we talk about dolphins and how half their brain sleeps while the other half's awake. Oh, yes. So they can still swim around. I'm and recalling okay, yeah. predators. Conversation. Anyway, I mean, maybe. We don't know. I, I, you tell me. I'm sorry. I'm just jumping ahead. But Ty told, and sorry, probably not going to pronounce this right, Tahin Nian News. I don't know if the insomnia has impacted my health or not, but I'm still healthy and can do the farm work normally like others. And then the physician... The fish? (laughs) I'm trying to say physician. Oh, physician. Physician. (laughs) The physicians who have examined him claim that he is in perfect health despite the evidence of a slightly impaired liver function, which I'm going to assume came from him trying to drink to go to sleep. sleep. (laughs) But... Is Ty a medical miracle is the question that they have oh, to ask. Is he? Some researchers think not. And Dr. Wad- Wadwa, Wadwa, I'm sorry, you guys, W-A-D-H-W-A. I don't know how to say it. I think you were saying it, right? So this doctor believes that some insomniacs lack the ability to observe the difference between sleeping and being awake. And consequently, Ty may be actually having micro naps, which are naps that only last a few minutes each, and be completely unaware of ever having them. And the answer for this question is yet to be found, and researchers' options are limited in that Ty is afraid of tests and he refuses to travel abroad for testing. So they really can't do any more research on him specifically, but obviously that doctor saying their best guess is he does take tiny little naps here and there without noticing and that's why he's okay. Yeah, I was going to say because, well, I mean, my story talks a lot about people who can't sleep and they are not okay. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think we've touched on this because I remember sharing the story once about a man, can't remember where he was at. <laughs> my man. <laughs> can't remember where he's located. Somewhere like like London, England, like, you know, I don't know. I was probably way oh, off. Across the ocean. Anyways. And he would, like, go to the store and shop when he didn't know he was sleeping. You remember that? Yeah, the insomnia episode. I mean, <laughs> this is the insomnia episode. I meant the narcolepsy episode. Oh, that's right. Anyways, I couldn't remember even, like... It's okay. So it was the guy who was having uh, narcoleptic episodes and buying stuff at the store? Yes. That's what I'm you're I'm just saying about? that reminded me of this. Oh, like, like he the didn't micro-naps. know he was sleeping. Could just be, like, sleepwalking, too, I guess. You yeah, just don't know you're be. sleeping. Yeah, but you know, have you ever like fallen asleep without realizing that you fell asleep? Yes. So if it literally only is for like a couple, like one minute, you might literally not notice that you fell asleep. 
I think that's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Like he might just be sitting in a chair and he's just chilling, but has fallen asleep for a few minutes and just doesn't know. Gotcha. Could be. I don't know. But they don't know Apparently, <laughs> if he lays down at night, though, he doesn't ever feel like he really falls, falls asleep. asleep. Yeah. He just lays there. And I think at this point he doesn't try. That would make sense. So, okay. So I have one more story. Um, it's from communitynews.org. And um, it's about a man named Albert Herpin, and he was known throughout the world at the time as the man who never slept. So Herpin was a local legend for nearly 50 years, from 1904 to 1947. And he was known in newspapers as Trenton's Sleepless Wonder when they first started, first writing, they first started writing stories about him. The story is part history and part folklore, and it's that's because they aren't it was at a time, technically, when there wasn't enough scientific studies that they don't really know for sure how accurate it is. or how truthful he was, basically, oh, okay. about not being able to sleep. Gotcha. He was the subject of frequent newspaper articles in the early 20th century, as well as an entry in Ripley's Believe It or Not and other encyclopedias of questionable facts. Interesting. And as late of... As sorry, as late as 2017, a local author, Robert Quinn, wrote a semi-fictional account of Herpin's life, and he titled that book "The Man Who Never Slept." Interesting. The story captured imaginations for obvious reasons. Um, if Herpin's claim was to be believed, he would be superhuman, and in fact, biologists have yet to find a single animal that does not sleep in some form or another. Because of sleep's many evolutionary disadvantages, it stands to reason that it performs an essential, if not completely understood biological function and that going without it for too long would be impossible yet herpin claimed to have done just that and could there be any grain of truth to the legend who knows sorry i thought you were gonna say (laughs) (laughs) you look like you're gonna say she's like pause who knows (laughs) so robert quinn who wrote the book the man who never slept went and did some pretty deep research about al herpin's life and he found quite a few inconsistent in pieces of information inconsistencies yes inconsistencies in the articles published about him during his time so some of the weird things he found was that his year of birth reported in the newspapers was incorrect and he actually somewhere along the way changed his name from alexander to albert interesting so the dates weren't accurate his name wasn't really accurate so therefore was the claim accurate exactly And then the article continued, there is very little evidence to suggest that Herpin was studied under rigorous scientific scrutiny that would say one way or another if his claim of not sleeping was true. If doctors who examined him made any records of such a study, they remain hidden from the eyes of history. It is plausible, however, that he did stay awake for a week straight at least. The current world record for a healthy person staying awake under scientific scrutiny belongs to randy gardner who was a 17 year old in 1964 and he stayed up for 11 days for a science fair project funny i believe you spoke about that i did i did a whole episode about that <laughs> wow. one wow which fancy what was that? the name of that episode do you remember i think it was our curious sleep stories episode i think you're right i love that you guys can remember all of that some i'm of, like some of us got good brains i was <laughs> like when was that and then you guys are like, oh yeah that yeah thank you thank you If I'm like trying to go find something I remember we talked about. Mm -hmm. Anyways. So anyway, to sum that up, this supposedly Al Herpin, who was supposedly born on a certain date that isn't correct, (laughs) claims that he didn't sleep for years. Um, But they are saying the only proof that they have is that he didn't sleep for a week. But I still thought that was an interesting story about insomnia. Yeah, and an interesting book to read if you wanted to read about that subject. Yeah, so there is the book and then the... 
the person who wrote this article, it doesn't say their name, but they have a podcast. So at the end of it, they said, listen to our podcast for more about Al- more about Albert Herpin and whether or not it's possible he went decades without sleeping. And the podcast is called Forgotten History, hosted by Dickon Hyatt, and it's available on every major podcast platform. Ooh. Just like ours. Just like ours. Yes. Sweet. So if you're Shameless. interested in hearing more about that specifically, they talk about it. So I talked about it from their revised version of talking about it. I was just saying shameless plug (laughs) Well, to the World podcast on our own podcast. You're already listening to us. (laughs) Correct. All right, Mama Dawn. Well, speaking of a podcast that gave us ideas for this uh, episode today, that's actually, there is a podcast called Medical Mysteries, and they talked about the subject I'm going to talk about today. So that's where I got it from. And then the article that I'm using uh, to reference is a New York Times.com article, and it's called The Venetian Family Curse. Ooh, Are curse. you ready? I'm, I'm ready. ready. In 1791, in a small town near Venice, a man named Giacomo was born. Members of his family tended to be physically impressive, powerful with broad shoulders, and still are today. But one day in the fall of 1836, at the age of 45, Giacomo fell mysteriously ill He began to suffer from dementia. Eventually, he was confined to bed, laying awake in torment. Then he died. Oh. Giacomo had three children who survived infancy. One of his children had six kids. Over the next century and a half, his descendants flourished. His family members would become prominent doctors and businessmen in the new state of Italy. One even owned 130 apartments in Venice, including a plazo on the Grand Canal. But running parallel with the family's affluence was an eerie record of premature death. Parish books over the decades noted oddities like epilepsy and fever and nervous gastric fever as reasons for death. Later, family death certificates would name meningitis, economos disease, presenile dementia, leukoencephalitis, alcohol encephalopathy, and ictus, which I don't know what some of those are as reasons for death. Yeah, I don't know what some of those are either, but... So basically, it just means nobody knew what they were dying from. So the doctors would just write whatever sounded good at the time. Interesting. In fact, the cause of death was always the same, fatal familial insomnia, or FFI, which is a genetic disease that was not formally identified until 1986. In its vanishingly rare and for a time the Giacomo's descendants were the only people on the planet known to have it. So since 1986 they have found 30 other families. Could you imagine having a disease that they can't find you're like the only family that has it? Yeah that'd be that's really weird. I'd be like kind of stressed out a little there. Mm-hmm. The course of symptoms for FFI as the disease is known is grim. In the typical case one day in your early 50s You suddenly can't sleep through the night. You're trying to compensate with a nap in the afternoon without luck. Your pupils become tiny, men become impotent, your blood pressure and pulse become elevated, and you sweat heavily as your body goes into overdrive. Over the ensuing months, you try desperately, incessantly to sleep, sometimes closing your eyes but never succeeding in falling into more than a light stupor that provides no actual rest. Inside your brain, the traffic light and control activity is perpetually green. A downward progression ensues as your ability to balance, walk, or speak disappears. 
perhaps most tragic, your ability to think remains intact. You often know exactly what is happening. At first, you can talk about your agony, even write it down. Eventually, you lose that level of coordination. As your body shuts down, only the desperate look in your eyes shows that you know what is going on. In the final phase, usually after several months, you fall into a state of exhaustion resembling a coma, and mercifully, you die. At least 30 of Giacomo's descendants have died this way in the last century. Since, oh, 13 since 1973 and 7 in the past decade. Among the living, at least 25 more carry the gene that causes the disease. Within the Ventino region of Italy, where most of the family still lives, the knowledge of the family curse with a strange disease has long been widespread. Villagers speak of it behind the family's backs. Although the women tend to be beautiful and the family is cultured and wealthy, finding spouses is difficult. The family cannot get life insurance. One of the um, family members says, I tried to get insurance the other day. Oh, it was, her name is Elizabetha Reuter. A what? She tried to get insurance. No, I know, but what was her name? Oh, Elizabetha Reuter. Elizabeth. Elizabetha. Or Elizabetha, probably is how they said it. Okay, I was just Sorry, Elizabetha. She is Giacomo's great, great, great granddaughter. And after filling out the form, the woman in the office asked, so what stage are you in the family disease? Um, In the mid-1980s, Italian newspapers got a hold of the story of Elizabetha's family. Elizabetta's? I want to just say Elizabeth, but (laughs) Elizabetta's family. No. Uh, They pounced on them. Here was a wealthy family with a problem, sleeplessness. So exotically un-Italian, there is no easy word for it in their language. The media attention came around at the same time as the first reports of another new European scourge, mad cow disease. Neighborhood children came by Elizabeth's home and made mooing noises. The family suffered a deep upset and Elizabeth herself endured a psychosomatic attack of insomnia. But in their cruel way, the local children had intuited something important. Their hunch that mad cow disease and the fatal familial insomnia was somehow connected would turn out to be right. Indeed, this realization would fundamentally expand our understanding of the disease. 160 years after Giacomo's death, the King of Sweden shook the hand of Stanley B. Prusner, a professor of the University of California at San Francisco, and gave him the 1997 Nobel Prize in Medicine. It is unusual for a single researcher to receive the prize, but Prusner's work was exceptional. He had shown that under certain conditions, the body's own proteins can wrap and, or can warp and turn against it. They can make the body devour itself. He gave this deviant protein an exotic name, a prion, and established that they cause a rare class of degenerative brain elements, Crutchfield Jacob disease for one, and more important, bovine spring form encephalopathy, which is mad cow disease. And uh, they convert humans into variants of Crutchfield Jacob disease. So that's all connected mad cow disease and Crutchfield Jacob disease and infamal insomnia. <laughs> okay. <Blah, blah>, <laughs> Whoa. Got it. Sorry. Whoa, a mouthful. Big words. At that time of the award, the disease had killed two dozen people in England. That's the Crutchfield Jacob disease. And one in France. It had since killed about 80 more people and spread in cattle throughout Europe. 
It may have killed hundreds more people, possibly thousands. No one knows for sure, because the disease has such a long incubation period. Mao Cow disease put Pershner and his prions on the map in a way that a single family in Veneto could never do. Hmm. But how did Pishner demonstrate this, that a misfolded protein could cause a disease? His key experiment was simple. He took the material extracted from brains of members of Elizabeth's family, Elizabeth's family, who had died of FFI. He then injected this material into the mice, genetically altered to produce human prions. The mice developed FFI, and he performed uh, the same experiment with brain matter from Crutchfield Jacob victims and got parallel results. Then he killed the mice and shot prions from them into new mice, and again he got the two diseases. So sad that he's using mice because we don't like that, but he did learn something important. The conclusion was clear. Malignant prions can cause disease, just as a virus or a parasite or a bacteria. Hmm, a bacteria. So, I know, that doesn't... <laughs> yeah, this doesn't seem that exciting to us, but when I was reading this more, it was like major, major, major news. This was crazy exciting. I think it's interesting that we're talking about all these sicknesses when we have COVID. I know. In the years since Persner's historic experiment, FFI has become much more than a curio disease. It sits at the crossroads of two new and exciting areas of scientific inquiry, sleep deprivation and prion research. In the past two dec decades, Giannimo's descendants have gone from being local pariahs to a family whose genetic material is sought by scientists all over the world. And those who have fallen ill have been studied in minute detail by researchers exploring the fundamentals of sleep. Can you believe just like running away as like these people are trying to like come after your family? Yeah. For your like genetic material so they can study it. Yeah. That's weird. Scary. And before, but yet they couldn't get married because people knew they had this disease and they didn't want to trans yeah, transfer it to their children, basically. Right. Interesting. Many questions about fatal familial insomnia remain. Although the vast majority of victims fall ill in middle age, why do people, uh, fewer people get sick in their teens? Why do a few who test positive for the gene not get the disease at all? Could studying these irregularities suggest a pathway for blocking the general spread of prion disease in humans or for treating them before they become symptomatic? Many researchers, including Prusner himself, think so guaranteeing that Elizabetta's family will receive more and more attention in years to come. Elizabetha and her husband, Ignacio, have a 14-year-old daughter. They live only a few miles from where Giacomo lived. Their daughter is tall, with broad shoulders, chestnut hair. When I went to, and when I say I, I don't mean me, the person writing this article. When I went to visit her family home, she did not know why I was there. Her family did not want to tell her. She was not, as her mother put it, yet ready for the information. As absorbed in her own world as a teenager, she wasn't really wondering. When the talk turned to mad cow disease, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Elizabetha and Ignacio stiffened, but their daughter breezily said that she loved me and she wasn't going to stop eating it. Her mom is different. Elizabeth is small and intense. It is as if Giacomo's genes skipped a generation. She is 50 with blonde brown hair and bags under her eyes. She trembles and cries often, 
She doesn't drive, getting around her little town with its disused canals by bicycle. She is the only Italian I've ever met who doesn't like to be hugged or kissed. Her husband, Ignazio, who has the soft face and bowed mustache of a lead in an opera, got out a book and showed me a picture of Albrecht Durer's famous drawing of melancholy. He pointed and said, this is Elisabetta. Oh, I know what melancholy means. Yeah. <laughs> She's just, it, it goes into it more. Elisabetta has lost her grandfather, two aunts, and an uncle to the family disease. Even though the likelihood of having fatal familial insomnia is one in 33 million, in her family, it is one in two. She loses someone every three years or so. That's sad. Ignacio says Elisabetta has also led a family effort to confront the disease over the years. There was not something that came easily to her. She was brought up in a strict religious home where the disease was looked on as a kind of fate, but she was enthusiastic and bright and became a nurse. Oh. Yeah. One day in 1971, her mother uh, went in for a minor procedure at the same Venetian hospital where Pietro, her grandfather had died in 1944 a doctor pulled piatro's chart it said that he had died from encephalitis the family just accepted these judgments elizabetha remembered and we had our own myths my grandmother for instance called it a disease of exhaustion because she believed it struck you after a moment of extreme stress to elizabetha the smell that smelled of denial so she looked over the hospital chart her grandfather had been a very central figure in the family, and under Mussolini's reign, he was the mayor of their hometown. But in 1943, the government fell apart, and the partisans sent Pietro a terrifying death threat. Soon after, he developed a fever of 104, couldn't sleep, and a few months later, he was buried in the family plot. Scary after getting so a that death makes threat. sense. <laughs> makes sense why her grandma thought it was a stress. Yeah, stress disease. The day Elizabetha read her grandfather's chart, she found something suspicious right away. Under spinal fluid was a notion, clear as water in a rocky stream. In parentheses, it says, Italian medicine is full of such great elegant oddities. Just the description of the being clear as a water in a rocky stream in a medical chart. I think it's funny. Anyway. <laughs> I think it's funny. Elizabetha was familiar with spinal taps and thought what she read was unlikely. The fluid of encephalitis victims nearly always shows contamination from the disease. She told her mother, her mother and her widowed grandmother about it. They told her not to dwell on the past. Yet Elizabetha persisted. Ignacio was himself training to be a doctor and agreed to help pursue the mystery. A few years later, one of Elizabetha's aunts came to visit. She was 48 and had recently been through menopause. She seemed depressed. She couldn't sleep. She asked Ignacio for a sedative. Nothing helped. The aunt began to despair over her perpetual awakeness and hallucinating. Ignacio and Elisabetta took her to a neurologist in, Padu in Padua. I think that's how it says. P-A-D-U-A. Who diagnosed dementia wrongling. The patient understands everything, Ignacio said of the disease. They know they are trapped in some sort of strange perpetual exhaustion, but their minds are clear. The aunt died soon after, weighing only 65 pounds. Ooh. So they can't eat. It totally messes them up. That sucks. The hospital did an autopsy. 
I can remember, I can still remember they're coming out of the operating theater, their hands covered with blood and saying, Bo. Elizabeth said, Bo is Italian for we have no idea and we aren't going to know under the cause of death. A hospital official put encephalitis of indeterminate origin. Five years later, in 1978, another aunt fell prey to the disease. She, too, died after being examined at Padua. This time, after the autopsy, Ignazio kept the brain. He took thin slices of it and sealed them in paraffin to, and sent them to a famous neurologist in Geneva, Dr. Johannes Wildey. Is Ignazio and Elisabetta soon got back a detailed letter. Dr. Wildey did not know what killed Elisabetta's aunt, but he noted that the brain decay resembled Crutchfield Jacob disease. He was confused by a series of tiny lesions in the thalamus. The thalamus serves as a way station for information going from the brain to the body and back. Without it, you could not think coherently or maintain balance. But the thalamus did not, is not known to be associated with insomnia. Dr. Wildey considered the findings incidental. In 1984, Salvano, Elizabeth's uncle, came to visit. He had recently been held at gunpoint during a bank robbery in Venice. He was 53. His eyes were small as pinpricks, his face drawn. It was obvious what was wrong with him. Elisabetta was devastated. She and Ignazio had been holding off having children, waiting to see whether her own mother got sick. I was a spy in my own house, she recalled. I'd sneak into her room and make sure she was really asleep. She got annoyed and started throwing her slippers at me. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> that is funny. Under Silvono, uh, or her uncle Silvono, had just been on vacation with his mother. He told them that he had been sweating so much he was embarrassed to dance. He had always been a terrific dancer, elegant, a pocket square folded in his suit, a ladies' man. He was now impotent. Elisabetta, Ignazio, and Silvano all knew what was next. Though they couldn't prove it yet, they knew that what was killing the family was uh, insomnia. That it wasn't just a feature of the family's gothic affliction, but it was the key feature. They decided to consult an expert on sleep disorders in Bologna. There was a clinic run by a professor named Ilo Lergarzi. Ignacio called him. Would the professor see his wife's uncle? Lagarzi asked the family to come the next day. He was a popular teacher at the University of Bologna. In his, a play, he was a playful man with an easy manner, but also determined and willing to think outside of the conventions of Italian medicine. Lagarzi vividly remembers Silvano's arrival. He was handsome and broad shoulders. He was a cultivated man. Silvano had given a, was given a room with a comfortable bed. A videotape machine was set up to record his behavior, and his head was covered with brain sensors. Brain sensors? Yeah, just like for a sleep study. Oh, okay, like the little suction cup things, imagine? like They're just kind of taped <laughs> on. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Silvano was admitted to Lagarzi's clinic in the spring of 1984. Lagarzi showed me the videotapes as his decline. They make for uncomfortable watching. His course is relentlessly downward. On a tape made in March, his eyelids flutter over the dots of his eyes. Already like Valdemar, the glassy roll of his eyes was changed from the expression of uneasy inward examination, which is never seen except in the case of sleepwalking. During good moments, Savano can still read. 
He wears his glasses on the end of his nose and keeps a pocket square in his pajamas. He ticks off the days on a pad. There are tapes of him at night, carefully combing his hair in a hallucinatory stupor, thinking he is getting ready for a party. Once he salutes as if he were part of changing of the guards at Buckingham Palace. Oh my gosh. Mm. Elizabeth remembered such moments, like the time he offered the Queen of England an orchid. During lucid moments, Silvano laughed with the family over what was happening. He joked that the brain sensor cap on his head made him look like the Pope, but that did not disguise his terror. Two months further into the disease, you see that on the tape, too, howls in the night. His arms and legs are wrapped around themselves, and in the last days of his life, he lies in a twitching, exhausted nothingness. Oh, that's Aww. sorry. It's making me get a little teary. Aww. I just if you, I just can't even imagine watching someone in your family go through this. Yeah, the uncle's death proved uh, provided the break for the family that they had been denied for so long. Largarzi had arranged to have a pathologist on call twenty four hours a day. Accordingly, Savano's brain was removed within hours, preserved in formalin, and then it was shipped to Pierre Lugi. Gambetti, I think is how you say it, a former student of Agarzi's who ran a neuropathy lab at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio. Lagarzi told Gambetti to look carefully at the hypothalamus and the brainstem, regions of the brain that were then thought to control sleep. Gambetti cut the brain into hundreds of pieces. Strangely, the tissue looked healthy, except for a series of tiny lesions in the part uh, in part of the thalamus. The finding intrigued both him and Lagarzi. Why the thalamus? Neither had a clear answer. Lagarzi needed to get more information and more brains. Elisabetha and Ignazio set out to build a detailed family history. Elisabetha called relatives to ask if they knew of anyone who had died under odd circumstances. Historic information was uncovered in church archives throughout Veneto. Ignazio would sneak down in various archives with a camera and search for the family surname. In this manner, he discovered unknown relatives, including one who had supposedly died of schizophrenia in Geneva and whose brain had been preserved by a perplexed clinician. The search for the origins of the disease gave them a shared purpose, a way to cope with the awfulness. Meanwhile, Elizabeth's mother turned 65, beyond the age of FFI strikes. Soon after, Elisabetha and Ignazio conceived their daughter, who was born in 1986. Then a second tragic piece of good luck occurred. From a cold telephone call, Ignazio learned that Teresa, the 36-year-old sister of a distant cousin of Elisabetha, was behaving oddly. She was bumping into various objects as she walked around the house and was sweating. Her sister took her to the clinic in Bologna. Of all the deaths the clinicians witnessed and filmed, hers may have been the saddest. Perhaps because the disease, for reasons not yet understood, struck Teresa much younger. A mother of two, in her first moments at the clinic, Teresa seemed cheerful, dressed in a scarlet sweater, with a soft face and full lips. Even a few months later, when her head inclined forward in a vain attempt to sleep, if a researcher tapped her, she snapped to and smiled. But the disease strips away the softness of her cheeks. Her face becomes a parody of a student who has pulled an all-nighter. Enormous black circles developed around her eyes, 
As with other family members, she eventually falls into exhaustion, a quasi-coma, her face twitching continuously, and then died. That's so oh, sad. What? Yeah. No. Now you understand why she's on such a mission. Yeah. Right. More family members died. Twins two years apart. No. Teresa's uncle. In a meeting held in the Reuters living room, Elizabetha, Ignazio, and the Bologna researchers agreed to name the disease fatal familial insomnia. Meanwhile, Gambetti's lab began to make incremental progress in understanding the disease, but the precise cause continued to elude researchers. Separately, Gambetti and Lagarzi noted something striking about the disease in the charts documenting Teresa's brain activity. Lagarzi saw spikes similar to those of patients with Crutchfield-Jacobs disease. Gambetti, examining her actual brain back in America, noticed it was full of little holes. The tissue was uh, sponge, spongiform, so I guess kind of like a sponge. Mm -hmm. they, began, uh, they both began to suspect that what they were looking at wasn't a traditional infection. Both were aware of Stanley Prusner's controversial theory of prions. Was he right, and were the prions what caused FFI? In 1992, Gambetti's research team was able to sequence the family's genetic material and pinpoint the mutation that caused FFI. Armed with this information, they were able to administer a test to the family. Elizabetha persuaded reluctant members to participate. Half of the 50 relatives tested had the fatal gene. Oh, Around the time, Gambetti called Stanley Persner and asked him if he wanted to use some of the family's brain tissue. Persner had mice with the human prion, uh, excuse me, Persner had mice with the human prion gene inserted, and Gambetti did it. Without them, he could not prove the cause of FFI, and Persner had been supportive of Gambetti. Without him, we wouldn't have gotten the disease accepted so fast. Um, Gambetti said. He sent the specimens for Prusner. It was an unexpected break. He had been trying to show for more than 20 years that a certain class of diseases was caused by their own malignant proteins. It seemed counterintuitive to say the least. Proteins have no nucleic acid and so no means of reproducing or replicating. Yet Persner was proposing that they could spread like an infection, taking over healthy proteins and making them lethal to the parent organism. It was not inconceivable. Such patterns had been shown in yeast proteins. For instance, some proteins in the brain cells of people suffering from inherited Alzheimer's are also altered by joining proteins. One way to think about the model for a prion infection is what happens when you drop an extremely frozen ice crystal into a bucket of water. The rest of the water freezes too in response, from the nearest particle to the farthest. But what could be the biological purpose of this? Since prions have no genes to pass on, not being alive, they have no motive to kill. Using the brain matter of Teresa and other relatives, Persner in 1996 performed his key experiments. Having successfully caused FFI in the mice, Persner was able to confirm his theory at last. Deviant prions caused the disease. Persner had met the basic standard of proof for an infectious agent. He would get his Nobel Prize the next year. Not every scientist is convinced of the importance of prions. 
a small group of biologists still believe that hidden in these proteins is some sort of slow virus, something else that is getting into the brain tissue and making people sick. They point especially to the facts that that no one has been able to convert a normal human prion into a lethal one in a test tube. Persner himself suspects that there is some sort of helper protein in this process, which he vaguely calls protein X. But there is an increasing amount of circumstantial evidence to support his basic thesis. For one thing, there is never any sign of infection in those who die from prion's disease. No swelling or dead white blood cells or other signs of inflammation. Patients are not contagious in the conventional sense. Nobody in Elizabeth's family has, for example, ever infected his neighbor or his wife or his husband or her husband. But the main reason the prions remain credible is that there is simply no better answer. As Gambetti told me, not me, of course, the person writing this article, with every year there is no better solution coming forward and evidence of prions grows stronger. It reminded me of the medieval proof of God, the one, the one that Giacomo would no doubt have heard from his parish priest if he ever wondered what had been done to deserve such an awful death, if there is no God who made the universe. For Elizabetha and her family, Persner's Nobel Prize did not change much. They continue to die. A new generation is now approaching the age of greatest risk. Some have begun to question if it made sense to go through all the work the blood tests, the publicity, the discrimination. Some family members wonder whether Elizabetha, who tested negative for the gene in 1993, and Ignacio are pursuing the research for their own purposes. They have not been able to find out whether or not they carry the FFI gene. Bologna researchers refuse to tell them until there is a cure. Bring us news from Cleveland, they keep saying. When I told this to Professor Gambetti, it caused him genuine pain. He is a tall man with, a, with dark hair thinning on top and a stoop. At least in my imagination, this came from the thousand hours he has spent looking at brain tissue under a microscope. His laboratory at Case Western in the United States, Surveillance Center for Outbreaks of Prion's Disease. There is a freezer with a biohazard sign on it outside his door, full of specimens of brains suspected of infection. Other freezers in the basement have several hundred more, including the brains of many of members of Elizabeth's family. The lab is as much as the graveyard ringed by cypresses near Elizabeth's home, Elizabeth's home, the true tomb of Giacomo's clan. If the electricity fails, Gambetti's phone at home will automatically ring. Gambetti's brain trove is one of the largest in the world and of great value. During my visit to Gambetti's lab, he spoke eloquently about the scientific benefit gained by studying the brains of Elizabeth's family. He sincerely regretted the family's distress. The good thing he told me is that research on prion's disease doesn't have to be targeted to FFI to work for FFI. One of his teams, he reported, is working on CJD, which is the, I can't even say it, Crutchfield-Jacobs disease. In the other interesting, oh, in another interesting finding, Gambetti's research team has shown the variants of the same prion uh, protein gene can cause FFI and also Crutchfield-Jacobs disease. I got a look at Silvano's scarred thalamus under a microscope and wearing gloves and a mask saw mice in whom Gambetti's team has inserted the human FFI gene. 
if they can figure out how to start and stop the process by which the prions convert other prions or prions, they would not only cure FFI but CJD. They would also perhaps point to treatments for Alzheimer. Persner's lab in San Francisco is doing similar experiences again for a cure for Alzheimer's is the ultimate goal there. As he showed me around the lab, Gambetti mentioned that FFI patients also present a remarkable opportunity to understand ordinary insomnia. The functions of sleep in the subject of, is a subject of ancient debate. Does it exist to keep us out of harm's way for part of the day or to process newly learned material, to help us forget useless information or to improve immune function, or is it necessary at all? If sleep does not serve as, as an absolutely vital function, it is the greatest mistake that evolution ever made. That was written by Alan Reichenstaffen, who is a well-known American sleep researcher. Hmm. Reichenstaffen. I think that's how you say it. As the videotapes of Elizabeth's relatives make clear, the victims of FFI build up an enormous sleep debt, hundreds of times greater than subjects in sleep experiments have been able to do. We cannot live without sleep. At the same time, this causes catastrophic results that are brought about by very limited cerebral damage, and this almost exclusively in the thalamus. Vast proportions of the brain are untouched. This finding has shocked pathologists and sleep researchers and opened new possibilities for aiding normal insomniacs. If I were the director of the NIHI, which I'm not sure what that is, would pour money into FFI research. National Institutes of Health. National Institutes of Health. Thank you. Uh, let's see, said William Dermott, who founded the Sleep Disorders Clinic at Stanford University. You might get a cure for insomnia. At the very least, we could make our sleeping pills infinitely safer and more practical. We would no longer need to affect billions of receptors the way we do now, said Dermott to bring about the desired result, safe, deep sleep. As Gambetti himself, he predicts a cure for FFI within about 10 years. He will it will not be an easy decade for him. When I began this work, he said, I used to think that Alzheimer's was the worst disease you could get. But to see a loved one disintegrate in front of your eyes and for that person to know what's happening, somehow the fact that this is so rare makes it even worse, it seems to me. I think now even a car accident would be less cruel. Ooh. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, well, just, ooh. The day before I traveled to Italy, another of Elizabethan's cousins died. She and Ignazio made the family trip to the Cypress Line Cemetery. When I met them, she was still wearing black. The next day, the son of the latest victim called me. He had put down the cause of death of his father as Alzheimer's. He wanted to explain why, and also why he didn't want to know whether he had the FFI gene. It was because of the insurance problems and discrimination, and also, as he pointed out, his voice got tight with grief. The stress of the test might even bring on the disease. Besides, what would I do with the information? There is no cure. Maybe there will be one day, but for now, I'd rather rely on my faith. Yeah, rely on your faith. That's oh. what you should rely on. Sorry, I know that was long, but... I found it very, very interesting. It's sad that it's so much death. I just can't imagine. But yeah, so that's why they call it the Venetian curse. Because yeah, it's just this one family. family, for some reason, just has it 
much worse than any other family. So I wonder if that family still has like descendants. Yeah. They do? Yeah, they're still studying it today. Oh, I missed that part. Yeah, it's still an ongoing thing. So, I mean, when he said within the next year, this was made. Uh, well, I mean, it was, I think it's been 10 years. 2012-ish, you said? 11? I don't remember I when it was. I think you said 2011, but I could so, be wrong. I said 2011 about mine. Oh. So you might be anyway, thinking of that. I don't know Anyways. when the 10-year period is, but it's still something that's being researched. And Dang. I haven't heard that they found a cure, so I don't think it's happened yet. Wow. That's Dang. so sad. So, yeah. So if you, you know... Sometimes you hear of other people's struggles and you're just like, man, I'm so glad I have the struggles I have. So yeah. I I hope that they are fab- able to figure that out because it's going to help, like they said, with way more than just that just one then. disease. Yeah. It's going to clear up a bunch of other diseases too. Very interesting. So thank you for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for joining us today. We would love for you to email us any stories or experiences, and that email would be deadtotheworldpodcast at gmail.com. And we would love a rating on Spotify and a review on Apple Podcast and on Podchaser. Podchaser, thank Good you. Good job. <laughs> I was like, what's that other one? And you can follow us on all of our social medias at Dead to the World Podcast. Join us next time to find out what happens when we are Dead, dead to, to the, the World. world.